And if you have a Bible app on your phone or you have a, a book like this, a Bible, if you would, go to Joshua chapter 4. Book of Joshua chapter 4. John and I are going to tag team this morning. So <laughs> I think John said amen to that. So I'll do the first half. He'll do the second half of, uh, of the message uh, today. Have you ever found an old scrapbook or a box of pictures and you begin to look at them and all these memories come to mind and you, and you think, remember when we did that? Or I, we look so young there. Those are some of the best conversations that you can have. And sometimes um, a smell will take you back somewhere. Uh, perfume or cologne will remind you of a first date or a smell of apple pie will remind you of grandma's house. Uh, sometimes a song will do that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I heard a song on the radio, and it took me back to my freshman year in college. Uh, my girlfriend had broken up with me, and I was absolutely crushed. And she gave me back some pictures and gave me back a ring and some, some other little jewelry. And I was driving from home back to college, and I turned on the radio, and I am just crying and this song came on, There Goes My Reason for Living. There Goes My Everything. And I thought, that's right, there she goes. <laughs> Interesting thing about memory, it's selective. Sometimes we forget all the bad stuff that happens and we only remember the good stuff. And sometimes we forget all the good stuff that happens and we only remember the bad stuff. And it's not only select, short, it, it's selective, it's just short. We tend to forget things, which is why we tend to have memory aids. Uh, if you ever go to Washington, D.C., you'll visit the World War II Memorial. Or you'll visit the 9-11 Memorial in, Washington, in, uh, in New York City. And several days ago, we celebrated and we said, 19 years ago it happened. And we're not going to forget. We're not going to forget. And all those names were read. I took our kids, Ruthie and I took our kids to Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and after the trip was over, I said, what did you remember? And they said, Arlington Cemetery and the changing of the Marine Guard and how quiet it was. And we remembered the, uh, the Vietnam Memorial. And, Dad, you're going and tracing the name of a friend you had who, who died there and how quiet it was. All through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God tells us to remember. For example, in Ecclesiastes 12, he says, Remember your Creator when you're young, before you get older. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget, don't forget His benefits Deuteronomy 8 says, remember you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God redeemed you. That's all through the Old Testament. God's saying, remember who I am. Rem remember what I did. Remember what I, I'm doing for you. And then you move into the New Testament. Jesus one time said to the disciples, don't you remember the 5,000 people who ate from two little fish or, and, and five loaves? Don't you remember the 7,000 people who ate? Don't you remember he warned Peter that Peter would betray him, and when the rooster crowed, Matthew 26 says, Peter remembered what Jesus had said and went out and wept bitterly. 
Jesus one time said, remember Lot's wife. Don't forget that. And Paul said, don't you remember what the Lord said, what Jesus said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And you see the same thing in John, and you see it in, in Peter. All through the scriptures, the Lord is telling his people, I want you to remember what I have done. And knowing our memories are selective and knowing they're short, he says, I want you to, to come up with some memory aids so you don't forget. A, a pillar of, of a stone or, or an altar. When you've seen me do something, I don't want you to forget. So put a memorial together, something that when you walk by it, oh, it triggers your memory and, oh, that happened and God did this. And, and when your children see that and say, well, what does that mean? What, why is that there? Oh, that, that's when God did this. And that brings us to the book of Joshua chapter 4. The people of Israel have been set free from Egypt, and for 40 years they have been wandering around in the desert because of, of their disobedience to God, and now they've come right up to the edge of the Jordan River. And normally the Jordan River is so shallow, it'll come to knee level, you can just wade right through, but it's flood stage, which means it's a football field across, and it's deep, and there are strong currents, and they're standing there, hundreds of thousands of people looking across at the land that flows with milk and honey that God has promised them. And the question is, how do they cross this river? It's so wide. How, how do you cross the Mississippi like that? And God said to, to, to Joshua, said, have the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant walk in and put their feet in the water. And they did that. And when they did that, the Jordan River just dried up. So that hundreds of thousands of people could cross over. And I imagine as some of those people were walking across, they, they, they said, hey, hey, he's done that before. Remember the Red Sea? Remember what that was like? Is he something? Isn't God something else? And there were 12 men who, as they were walking across, picked up rocks and made them a pile on the other side in the promised land. And that brings us to Joshua 4. The first nine verses. Let me read it for us. Read along with me. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. Bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So here's the idea. Every time a Jewish man would walk by and see that mound of stones, he, he would be, he'd be inclined to say, why are those there? And someone said, don't you remember... What God did. Don't you remember how we couldn't get across the river and he dried it up? Now let your eyes drop down to verse 19. The people came out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month 
and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Gilgal was this little town that became the headquarters for the campaign to conquer the promised land. And that word Gilgal means rolled away. And it's the idea that their reproach, the shame of being slaves, the shame of wandering for 40 years in the wilderness because of disobedience had been rolled away. It was gone. It's a new day, new direction. Verse 21, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea when he dried it up for us when they passed over. So God wants the kids and the grandchildren to know what he did. And when they ask the question, what do these stones mean? And maybe they coach their children to ask that question. Okay, every time we come by here, I want you to ask me the question. Okay, what do these stones mean, Dad? What do they mean, Grandpa? These stones remind us of the power of God. He can, he can dry a river up. He can do anything. And they remind us of the faithfulness of God because he promised us this land and he's giving it to us now. And they remind us of the grace of God because we were slaves and we were so ashamed and he's rolled all that shame away. And it's a new day for us. And not only the children and the grandchildren and those families, he wanted the whole world to know. Look at the last verse. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, why was it so important that this pile of 12 big rocks be mounted up? Why was that so important? I'm going to give you two reasons real quickly. Number one, it's because the source of a lot of our problems is forgetfulness. That's true in our personal lives. Because we remember slights and insults and offenses. Uh, People criticize us. We remember all of that and we forget the blessings and the miracles and how God has been so good to us and how people have helped us along the way. And because our memories are selective and because they're short, God says, I don't want you ever to forget the good that I do for you because we tend to get lodged in the in the hard times. And when we forget God's goodness, it, it, it's the source of a lot of problems that we have in our personal life. It's also the source of a lot of problems in marriage. I mean, in marriage sometimes, it's not infidelity that kills a marriage. It's this slow forgetting of how precious our spouse is. And we say, we'll never forget that. I mean, we stand at the, on our wedding day, we stand there and we think, I will never forget how wonderful this person is. But over the passage of time, we just kind of take that for granted and we forget and begin to take each other for granted. It's the source of problems in our marriage. It's the source of problems in our, our faith, in our spiritual life. Those of you who are Christians, do you remember when you became a Christian? You remember how excited you were? How amazed you were that God would forgive you and, 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 and save you and, and make you his child. You remember how, how much you wanted everybody to know 
and you talk to people, and they didn't understand, but you want to know, allow everyone to, to understand it and about God's, what, how good he had been to you. But what happens? After a while, the wonder of being a Christian just kind of becomes normal. And we lose the zeal. We lose our fire in our souls because we forget what God did. It's the source of problems in our personal lives, in our marriages, and our faith. And it's the source of problems in churches. Because the movement of God is quenched when we forget who he is and what he is doing and what he has done. So we have these memory aids, these memorials. We have birthdays when we kind of remember some, some things and we, we talk about it with each other. Uh, as a church, we have memory aids like baptism that we'll have in a moment to celebrate. And some of us will remember when we were baptized and the Lord's Supper or communion, that's a constant reminder for us what Jesus said, when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Of his memory aids. When we started the church uh, 10 years ago, in those six months before starting the church, I took some rocks and uh, began to write down some things on these rocks that what God was doing, because I never want to forget the amazing way that God orchestrated events for us. And I'm just going to pull out some of these rocks and read what is on them. This says, uh, copy machine, office suite, fax, furniture. Would someone call us and say, I've got an office suite of four offices, and it's newly carpeted and newly painted, and you're welcome to use it free as long as you want. And then someone gave us this high-speed new copy machine uh, and, some, and some furniture to put in that. We had no money. I mean, literally, we had no money at all. It was a rock, something God did. We, we didn't think we would get in St. George's because there were some folks who really didn't think that was a good idea. But God opened the door for us to get it over on Poplar in that little chapel and be able to meet there. Had a lawyer call and say, do you need any legal work? I'll do it free, which is a miracle in itself. <laughs> Jefferson, who prayed over here, is an attorney. <laughs> We had four people step up, professional level staff people with all kinds of skills and volunteered to work full time without pay in those early days. This is a place to live. Ruthie and I were moving from Tupelo. We had a house to sell there and uh, we didn't have any income coming in. And a guy that I did not know called me up out of the blue. I don't know where he got my number. He said, you don't know me but I understand you're going to start a church and you probably got a house to sell. And so we have a garage apartment you're welcome to live in as long as you want to. So for nine months, I slept on the floor. Ruthie slept on a little day bed and we were able to live in this little apartment above this garage free. I want to save this one for just a moment. This is computer training and leadership training. Someone offered us free computer training, which I flunked, and all the staff will <laughs> tell you that. But uh, executive leadership training that was uh, provided for us uh, free in those first six months before starting. 
this is the amazing part. Um, we put a little website together with a little give button. Two times the, the lady who was taking care of our finances, we wanted to be above reproach, so we, some lady decided she would do that for us, a professional bookkeeper. We went six months without a salary, but we never missed a paycheck. She twice called and said, there's no money to pay your salary this, these two weeks. Okay. By the end of the day, she called and she said, enough money has come in to pay your salary today. This is prayer groups. For three years, there were a couple of groups of people who were praying that we would, we would come and start a church. And it says also prophetic word. A lady called me out of the blue and she said, I think I have a word from God for you. And she said, I believe God wants you to come back and start a church. I said, what, 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 anyway, she, I don't know. I just, I think that's what God is, is saying. This one says, uh, graphic design, a web page. We had a professional artist, graphic designer, call out of the blue and say, do you need brochures put together? I'll, I'll do all the artwork. It won't cost anything. I, I won't be a part of your church, but I'll, I'll do that for free. And then the webmaster for Lady Annabellum called and said, you need a web page? I'll put it together free. And this is Mid-South Baptist Association, $5,000 for startup. This is not nearly all the rocks. This is 10 of them. And this one doesn't have anything on it. Because this is for the future. This is what, these are, this is the, just a representative of the things that God is going to do in the life of this church because he who began a good work in you, he's going to continue to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. I've got these kinds of rocks for my kids. Each one of my kids when they were born, protection, car wrecks, uh, dating, uh, all kinds of issues. When they came to Christ, we've got a bucket full at home. If you're not finding a way to chronicle what God has done in your life. Write a journal. Put something together. Get some rocks. Just to remind you. Because the battle's not over yet. It's not over yet. And when you look at what God has done, it gives you confidence for the future. If he did this, he's not going to neglect us now. The one who helped us before, he's going to help us into the future because we've got battles still to fight. I want to close with this. Put the, if you would, put that picture up on the screen. This is a mountain near the Dead Sea called Masada. Uh, Herod's winter palace was there. And in 70 AD, when the Roman 10th legion was conquering and defeating and destroying Jerusalem, a lot of the Jews fled from Jerusalem and went to this mountain, climbed up. There's a snake path on the other side you can climb up. There's a trolley car uh, that would take you up to the top today. But a number of Jewish people went there to protect themselves, to, to hide 
You see some of the ruins there. When the Romans found out about it, they sent the 10th Legion to Masada and spent three years trying to get up on top of that mountain. Um, every, year, every day, the Jews could go to one of those walls and look over and see the siege ramps that were being built up, the catapults that were being built. And after three years, when it became obvious that the Romans were going to conquer them, were going to climb over the walls, they made a, a pact, a suicide pact. Hundreds of men, women, and children decided rather than be killed and then captured, sold as slaves or prostitutes, they would take their own lives. So the men killed the children and the women, and then the men killed himself until the last man, and he, he took his own life. And they left food to say to the Romans, we didn't starve to death. We did this because we prefer death to slavery. Today, the Israel, Israeli army takes new recruits up on top of Masada, and they say, when they get up there, they tell them that story, and they say, never again. We don't want you ever to forget. Never again. The Holocaust Museum, same principle. Never again. And it's memory that enables them to fight the battles of the future. It's what happened before. That's what happens when we take the Lord's Supper. And I want to ask our deacons and some of the others, if you would, begin to distribute those elements. You just sit there, if you would, and you're going to get a little self-contained Lord's Supper kit. You've got to be real careful because there is a film at the top that you have to pull off. And when you do, there's, there's a little wafer there. You don't get to the juice yet. You just get the wafer. So when you get this, very carefully pull this, the film back, but don't take it yet. I'd like all of us to take it together. So our men are, are going to distribute these. Now let me explain that when we eat the bread together, we are remembering Jesus gave up his body to be tortured and broken for us. We're remembering what it cost for us to be forgiven, to be saved. It's a memorial, it's a reminder. Now, if you're a child, and you've not yet trusted in Jesus, or you know you're not a Christian, then just let it pass. Don't, don't take it because uh, this is for those who have put their trust in Jesus, know he has forgiven them, and they have been born again. They've been saved. So we're just, while we're just waiting, you might just say, after you receive that, you might just say, Lord, is there anything you want to bring to my mind that I need to thank you for or need to confess just in these moments while these are being distributed? Jesus said, when you do this, as often as you do it, do it remembering me. Let's eat together. Because this is a memorial meal. It is a time where we look back 
and remember what Christ has done, but it is also a current meal. We proclaim his death, his burial, his resurrection to everyone around us. It's a family meal. We enjoy it together. But it is also a meal that anticipates the future because it is a reminder that this cup, Jesus said, is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. A covenant in grace, securing salvation that you don't deserve and couldn't earn, but that I will gladly pay the price. And as often as you do this, you proclaim his death until he comes, and we know that our king waits. Because he said that he will not participate in this until we are all together again. So I invite you, if you want to tear off that remaining film, this is the tricky part. And don't worry, if little ones spill it, be at peace, all is well, Jesus is king. This is the cup in his blood. Remember what Christ has done. Enjoy family. And look to the future. Receive this today, all of you. Let's drink. Stones. Rocks. These were placed, as Pastor Sam reminded us, there in the Jordan as a reminder that there was a promise that God had given that he was going to give them a promised land. A land that it seemed like for a long time they would never get there after 40 years of wandering over and over. God, have you forgotten us? God, will we ever get there? And now the reminder, a memorial that God always keeps his promises and that he's always faithful that the Red Sea was not some sort of anomaly that could not be repeated, that the Red Sea was not the only time that God's people would see themselves delivered. But as a reminder, that not only can he do it now, but he can do it again. But you see, these stones point to something later. Because Jesus would say to Peter, sitting next to probably a large stone there in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Some say that you are Elijah, some John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But what do you say? We say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And it's upon this rock, this good confession of faith in me, that I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus would say in his sermon on the mount, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like the man who built his house upon the rock so that when the storms came and they beat against that house, it stood firm. Paul, Peter, both quoting from the Older Testament, would say that Jesus is a cornerstone, the capstone, and that it is marvelous in God's sight. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Ephesians chapter 2. I just want to give you four things to think about this morning. 
Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, it says this. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We're family. And you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Beloved, today as we see these stones, as we remember what God has done over these 10 years, I want you to see four things in that that passage. I want you to know the first thing is this, is that Jesus is building his church. We are a local expression of a cosmic movement. A God that calls a people to himself so that the world may know what he is like and that he is real. Participating in a cosmic mission which will ultimately one day be brought to reality because of the glorious Christ. But not only that, the foundation is strong. Jesus himself being our cornerstone, but these apostles and prophets built on the word. As the old hymn would say, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. And he's still building his church. And for us on a day like today, when we remember, when we look back, let us not forget that we stand on the shoulders of many. That there is a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And he is still building. And the marvelous thing is this. For us, the whole thing, the whole structure is joined together. Beloved, you are God's dwelling place. You see, what makes today special One, that Jesus has brought it about, but two, is you. We share this together. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is in all. The whole structure joined together. You are being built into a dwelling place for our God. So today, all these stones... A reminder of God's faithfulness. But so too, a reminder that great is his faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with him. He cannot change. And he cannot fail. And his mercies will be new every time by the word of his power that the universe is held together and the sun comes up. His mercies will be new every morning and his church will be triumphant no matter what we face, no matter how many battles must be fought, no matter how many times we wonder, have you forgotten us, O God? Go back. 
go back to the thing that you know to be most sure and most true. That there is a God in heaven who loves you. And he has set his affection on you. And in a price that cannot be measured, he gave his son that you might be saved, reconciled. And in that union in Jesus Christ, we are being joined together as a dwelling place for our God. You, living stones, fashioned, formed, not by accident, but by the good hand of providence. On this day, may we tell the stories of his grace. Take an extra five minutes and fill out that card and drop it in the basket so that the saints can be encouraged about what God has done. On days like today, when the little ones get a little squirmy and they're like, we've been sitting here for a while, put your arm around them, tell them that you love them, let them stand up. And tell them, this is why we do this, and this is why you don't have the cup yet, but I want you to know what Christ has done. When you see the pictures out in the lobby, and you go by, and the tears fill up in your eyes, thank God for his kindness to us. And let us with resolve endeavor to do this, to be a family of missionary servants sent to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Beloved, you are the church. And may these stones of remembrance stir in us an affection for Jesus, and may they spur us on and let us remember and let us face whatever battles come next, because it is Jesus' church, and he will build it. The foundation is sure and strong. You are God's dwelling place. And today, I hope that you will consider this. For some of you, you're going, this all seems very nice, and I, I, it's good to be with uh, this, this group today and celebrate, but I want you to know this. Christ invites you, if you are not yet a part of his household, to turn from your sin, to believe and trust that he is good, to place all your faith and trust in him, surrendering your life, body, and soul to the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate and to remind ourselves of some things that God has done. But I hope that if you're here and you say, you know what, I don't know if I'm a part of God's household. I don't know if I'm a, a part of his family. I, I don't know about this whole following Jesus thing or sin. And I, I just have questions. Please come and find Pastor Sam or myself. The greatest thing that will happen today would be for you to cross over from death into life. Beloved, you are the dwelling place of God. Let's make this house a home, open to all who would come through our doors, loving to everybody, no matter what, patiently enduring all that God puts before us with a grand hope that Jesus will continue and he will be faithful. Let's pray together. Father, what a good, glorious thing it is to know that you rescue sinners. What immeasurable riches are ours in Christ Jesus. 
What an unbelievable truth that we have access to the throne of grace with confidence to find help. Oh, we need you. So God, on today, when we commemorate, remember, and celebrate 10 years, we bless you, O King. For it is only by your grace that we stand here today. It is in your grace that we stand. It is in your grace that we live and move and have our being. It is in your grace that we will be seen safely home. A bride without spots. A family adopted. Living stones fashioned together. So I pray, O oh God, that on this day that our eyes would be lifted to the heavens, that we would bless the Lord our God, that we would remember that it is only because of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done, for the myriad of blessings that we can't even begin to count. Thank you for this dwelling place that you are preparing and for the glory therein. May the orchard truly be a family of missionary servants sent to make disciples of Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And everybody who agrees with this prayer says, Amen. Amen.